I must say, just off the bat, you know, the devil knows what I'm going to preach on because he's, he's right there in my office while I'm preparing. You know that. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't leave. You know that? He, he's with you the whole time. He's like a familiar spirit. He doesn't want to let go. He wants to know what you're doing all the time. So he is not happy about what I'm going to be sharing this morning. Let me just tell you just a couple of things, right? Just we are very dependent upon our caregivers to help me with Jackie in the nights and daytime. Very dependent. So on s Friday night, our caregiver is arriving at 6 o'clock. She's 200 yards from our home. She's at the last traffic light. And she crosses the light, and the person comes to the red light and takes her out. Totally destroys the vehicle. Vehicle is a complete wipeout. It's exactly 6 o'clock she's supposed to come on duty. So we have nobody for Friday night. Thank you. Yes, she got up. Miraculous. We pray over them every day. I just let you know we pray over them, believe God for their protection and their health and so on. So she gets out of this accident. Her car's to totaled, and uh, she's fine. A little stiff, but she's fine. She has a massage table in the back in the trunk. It comes out and flies across the road and gets destroyed. That's how hard it hit her. So uh, thank you for, for Cindy and Terry. They came over and helped me until midnight, and then I took over the shift and took care of Jackie for the rest of the day. This morning, 4 o'clock, our Sunday lady, her little guy, gets a high fever, four, 104. So she's got to rush him. He sh he's shaking and rush him to ER. So that's where she is now. So we have nobody this morning, so I had to get up and do everything this morning, Whatever had to be done had to be done. And then I want to thank Cheryl. She's out there right now. She came and took over so I could come and preach for you. Then I'll go back and take over. So I just want to let you know the devil's not happy um, about us continuing to preach no matter what situation we're in, all right? And he's obviously not happy uh, about my title this morning, Offense and Forgiveness. So I'm going to appeal to you this morning to please not get offended with me <laughs> during my introduction. Okay? So please, I ask you in Jesus' name. Understand the devil is here as well. I mean, the devil was at the, the Last Supper where Jesus was serving the, the, the guys that had Last Supper. Remember that? Judas, the, Judas got possessed by the devil right in front of Jesus, right there with the other uh, apostles. So if you think the demons and devils are not here, you're mistaken. They're here. All right? So please don't get offended. I'm not going to be talking about politics, but I have to mention it. So some of you went, shh, the air went out the blue straight away. Please hold on. I believe with all of my heart that we are in a spiritual war right now, prophesied by Jesus that it's going to occur at the very end of the end times. And if you want to read that, go to Matthew chapter 24. I've spoken about that a few times. But a spirit of division and offense has been released worldwide, in particular in America. And I want to let you know that the church of Jesus Christ is his ultimate target. That's what he's after. So Satan wants absolute control of every single person on the face of the earth. That's the end goal. We know this from the book of Revelations. That is where he's going. He wants absolute control. But in order to accomplish that, there's a few things he has to do. One of the things he has to do is he has to dismantle nationalism into, and introduce globalism. Again, please don't get uptight with me. He also needs to use the technology of big tech to get control by tracking each and every one of us in a way that it's done so that it appears to be convenient and it doesn't appear harmless. So I saw this week on the news that Whole Foods have introduced a palm scanning ID now. How many see that? Not many of you. The rest now found out. So you go into Whole Foods and they'll scan your palm as you go in. If you want to use that to pay, all you've got to do is connect your credit card to it. 
So they will have your ID and they will find out what you purchase and then they will cater for you. Palm scanning. All right, it's happening right in front of your eyes. You go, whoa, I didn't know that was going on. Yep, that is what's happening. So he also, Satan also has to bring division in the church because the church is supposed to be unified. We're supposed to be together. We're not supposed to be divided by denomination or doctrine. We're supposed to be together. Amen? All right. So, you know, if, if you're a Lutheran, you, you disagree with the Pentecostals and you disagree with the Baptists, let it go. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, make, make Jesus the center and everything else. As the song says, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Let's just become unified. Are we doing okay so far? Nobody offended. Touch, nudge the person next to you. Say, are you offended? Say, keep going, Pastor. I was planning on it. Now, let's get a little deeper. Christians are taking positions based on ethnicity, based on political policies. I didn't say parties. I said policies. On wokeness, on fear. It's division that's coming into the church. And I'm going to tell you now, Satan is behind it. And some of the tools that he's using, buckle up, some of the tools he's using, Black Lives Matter, racism, political parties, violence against the police, COVID-19 pandemic. How? Masks, to wear them or not to wear them. Social distancing, to be socially distanced or not. Proof of vaccinations. This is division. Already right now, cruises are starting to open up, but you have to prove vaccination. Flying to Europe is starting to open up, but you have to prove vaccination. You cannot go back to college in San Diego without having been vaccinated. Division. Concerts are opening up. Sports events are opening up, but you have to prove vaccination. This is division. Not one time have they said, if you've had COVID, you can come. I've had COVID. My family have had COVID, but I'm not getting vaccinated. I've had COVID. Please don't be offended. If you want to be, if you want to be vaccinated, go ahead, but don't force me. Why am I being forced? If I want to be part of the in crowd, go to the concert, fly overseas, or go to college, I've got to be vaccinated. This is division. It's unnecessary. It's bringing offense. It's bringing offense into families. It's bringing offense and division into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pandemic. Should we be gathering together? Should we be defying? The governors... The CDC, CDC, the unconstitutional mandate for us not to gather together. Should we be abiding by that or should we be following the Word of God that says don't neglect the gathering together? It's our First Amendment right. We ought to be getting together. Are you still here? Are you offended yet? Okay, so, so I want to tell you something. Who do we follow? So, some, some government bureaucrat? Somebody who promotes himself to a power, position of power and won't let, let it go? Listen, people, there's something going on here, and we need to be aware of what's happening. The loss of freedom of speech. This is a major problem. You get attacked. You get canceled by the cancel culture. And social media is playing a major part in this. This is all bringing division. And I will tell you right now, it's a work of Satan that's behind this. Demon spirits are trying to seek to bring this into the church, and they're succeeding. Division is coming into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this whole division thing has been successful in America. It has been successful in America, and it's coming into the church. You know what's going on here? We've become a circular firing squad. Let that sink in. We're shooting each other in a circle. You say something, you have a different thought, and they, somebody's going to let go of you. 
You need to get a world view. You have got to understand the eschatology of where we're living. You need to know there is the spiritual significance of the times that we're in and what, what is going on right now. Where are we on God's prophetic calendar? If you don't understand that, you'll go with the flow and you'll think it's just okay. It's not okay. All right, my introduction's over. Nudge somebody and say, I'm glad that's over. I want to bring a warning by the Holy Spirit to you this morning. I want you to be alert to the wiles and the actions the Holy Spirit is taking. What is his, what is his play? He's going around like a roaring, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Amen? Say, just say that he's not going to devour me. In Jesus' name. But this is the strategy. He is seeking an opportunity to bring offense in your life. He's seeking an opportunity. And offenses are very, very powerful. They're a destructive force. The Webster's Dictionary says this. An offense occurs when one is displeased, has resentment, been angered, enraged, a violation has occurred. Now, here's the thing about an offense. It's progressive. It goes through different stages. So, for example, you get hurt by something. And you can shrug it off. But if you don't shrug it off, it turns into an offense. And if you keep on meditating on this offense, it becomes anger. And this anger can turn into unforgiveness towards the person. And then ultimately hate. Hate. The Bible says the person who hates his brother doesn't know Christ, not going to heaven. Let's just get that out in the open. But it starts all the way back in the beginning, well, he hurt me, or she hurt me, or they said something, or that pastor said something. It's progressive. Have you ever heard this thing? Well, I take offense at that. You heard that statement? So what are you doing? You're taking offense. So don't take it. It's obviously a choice. Yeah, I'm not going to take it. So somebody says something, you say, you know what? I'm not going to take offense at that. You're telling them right, right? I'm not going to take offense at that. Well, see, listen, listen carefully. Once offense is taken... Once offense occurs, it cannot be taken back. Even if the person apologizes, and even if they change their ways, the only way to get rid of it is to forgive a person. So if somebody offends you and then they say, I'm so sorry, they promise to change their ways. And even if they change their ways, if you took the offense, it doesn't matter what that person does. It's not about them. It's about you. Until you forgive that person, that offense will remain with you. You're, gone, you're still here, you're going home. Do you know that the only reason a divorce takes place Listen, this is the ultimate. The only reason the divorce takes place is because is the hurt, listen carefully to these words, that would not be forgiven. I didn't say could not be forgiven. I said would not be forgiven. See, because you can forgive any hurt. The next time I preach, I will share on some of the hurts. Maybe I'll do some now. Now, one of the areas that we're very sensitive to being hurt is our relatives. People that we love and care about. We're very sensitive to what they say and they do. But one of the most common reasons why people leave a church is because offense. Not leaving California to go to another state, which is a very popular thing for people to leave. But the most popular thing is because offense has occurred. 
So let's start with some of them. Again, hold tight. Please don't get offended with me. I'm trying my best not to offend anybody. Let me start with Black Lives Matter. Okay? We lost people within a week or two when the Black Lives Matter thing hit the town, hit the cities, and there was riots and everything going on. And the reason it happened is because we did not stand up and make a statement. So we lost people. We appealed to the people that we were losing and told them how much we loved them and that we're not racist and that we believe that all lives matter. And we believe whether it's a white life or a black life or a baby that's being aborted or the thousands of people that are being killed in the cities, all life matters. Yes, we're against the brutality of police. Yes, we're against the things that they do wrong. Understand that. And I don't want to get into the specifics of the issues as to how many white people are being killed that were innocent, as to how many black people are being killed. It's wrong. It's wrong. But who wants to be a policeman? Especially in today's world. The thing is this, that came into the church and caused division. That's, all the, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say whether they're a Marxist organization or not. That's not the point. The point I'm making is it came into the church. We were subject to it. Then there's the political positions. We lost people during the last election. Because I wrote out an email. The Bible says pray for your leadership, pay for your government, doesn't it? So you pray for your president, whether it's Trump or whether it's Biden. And all I can say is you should pray more for Biden than you did for Trump. Okay? Don't get offended. He needs help. But I wrote out an email and said, please pray for our fearless leader at that time. And people left the church because I called him a fearless leader. Because they disagreed with his policies. That is putting your political stance ahead of your Christian stance. The Bible should be first. Are you following me now? All right. So, then we had a single girl that became pregnant. So we wrote her a beautiful email saying, we love you. The church loves you. Jesus loves you. And you know, we all make mistakes sometimes in our life. Please. You know, come back, be welcomed. And they left. They left because I used the word mistake. So when I spoke to the father, he said it wasn't a mistake. Don't call the baby a mistake. I said, oh, are you telling me that these two people were not married and were trying to have a baby? Is that what you're telling me? Were they actually trying to have a baby? If they were not trying to have a baby, then it was a mistake. Unless I can't speak English. Hello. Married people have mistakes as well. When they're not trying to have babies. Okay. So there was an offense. Over such an... One word. One word. The family left the church. We opened the church on the 31st of May, Pentecost Sunday last, last year. We'd been close for about six weeks. And the first thing happened, Monday morning I got a telephone call. We're leaving the church. We're leaving the church. You just mismanage the church the way you want to. Now you understand something. Nobody that's been offended is listening to the sermon. They're all gone. They're not watching me. They're all offended. They're gone. So this is for you. Don't be offended. Do, do you understand? I'm trying my best to keep you. The offended ones have gone, but please God help some way that this could get to them so that they can be helped. All right. You know, the dictionary uses the word offense the Greek word is the word scandalon. I think I may have this up for you. Now, it's, it's the name that was used for a part of a trap that they used to put the bait on. Okay? So it's not the trap, it's the baited trap. Now I'm going to tell you a story. Jackie and I had been in the ministry a few years, maybe three or four years. 
And we live in the city of Elkhorn. We're doing very well. The church is really exploding. It's growing. We're great revival going on. We take a vacation. We go down to the city of Durban on the coast is where we lived, where I was born. We uh, decided on vacation we'll go visit our church. It's a full gospel church. This is where we got born again. And we want to go visit our pastor. And we're hoping that since we hadn't seen him in 10 years and he'd heard about what's going on, that he would uh, welcome us and pray for us and bless us, right? He's my father and the Lord. Well, uh, not only didn't he, he bless us, but he had become embittered about the people that had left and had joined uh, an independent church movement, broken away from denominations and gone independent. And that's the way we were. So um, he actually didn't bless us at all. He condemned us. And uh, he said to Jackie and I that nobody is being born again in your church movement. Nobody's being spirit-filled. He said, you're preaching false doctrine. And at this point, he was holding my hand and shaking my hand. Now, he had a strong grip, but this was like a vice. I mean, I thought he was going to break my hand. He was squeezing it that hard. All right? So, I, I mean, I was in a lot of pain. I thought he was going to crush it. And then he raised the, the story of his daughter, Jody, who had died at the age of 16. Bible college knows she was the first person I tried to raise, was his daughter, Jody. And uh, he said that God took her. So Jackie very gently, very kindly refuted this and said, you know, it, it wasn't God's will that she died and, and so on. He tried to explain that uh, God wanted her to live. Well, he really got angry at that. And then he made this awful statement to us. He said, wait until you get terminally ill and then see how you feel about it then. And Jackie responded, I believe that by the stripes of Jesus we're healed and I believe we're divinely protected and that I refute that curse and I will not accept that curse. We had an opportunity to be offended by one of the most powerful men in our life, our pastor whom we loved and respected. The next time I saw that man was 20 years later. I preached in his church he had Alzheimer's. He did not recognize me, but because of the friendship that I had with the son, I was the guest speaker. Because we did not take offense. I've had opportunities of taking offense. Jesus said that the offense is an opportunity to fall, to fail, to stumble, or to sin. In Matthew 16, 21, it says that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So, he said to Peter, you are an offense. You are a stumbling block. You are a trap. You are an occasion for me to fall into sin. Peter was trying to talk him out of his destiny. Peter was trying to talk him out of the cross. Peter was trying to talk him out of the redemption of all mankind. He said, this is not going to happen. Peter was thinking about himself. I don't want to lose you. You're my friend. You're my master. You're my Lord. You're Messiah. I don't want to lose you. He wasn't thinking about the big picture. He didn't understand the big picture. Jesus said, you are a trap from the devil. You have been baited, and you are trying to bait me and cause me to fall or to fail or to sin or to stop in my endeavor. You see, Satan is setting baits, scandalons for you, traps that are baited, hoping hoping that you will stumble and take the bait and he will catch you in your walk with God. You know that in, in, in Africa, and you probably are aware of it, but it's, a, it's an ugly thing to think about it, uh, but monkeys can be very destructive, uh, especially on the farms. They'll come in and they'll eat and destroy the crops. Uh, and in other parts of Africa, people are so hungry that they actually hunt them to eat them. So, you know, this is uh, what goes on in Africa. So they have different ways of catching them. One of the methods they use of catching the monkeys is that they'll put out a, 
a, a cage in the fields, many cages, and they'll put some bright objects in the cage. And there's no, they, they don't, uh, the monkeys are too smart to go in the door. So they won't go in the door. So what they do is they have these bars, and then the monkeys will come along, reach through the bars to try and take what's inside the cage, some shiny object. They'll grab the object. Once they try to pull it through, the object in the monkey's hand is too big to come through the bars. The monkeys are too stupid to let go of the bait. And the next morning they come, the monkeys are all caught in the traps, but they're not even in the traps. And two things happen. They either get beaten to death or they get tranquilized and then later sold in the markets. True story. This is what happens. So listen to me. Offense predominantly comes two ways. The first way it comes is this, when people, you allow people to say things or you permit people who say things to you or do things to offend you. You permit that offense to occur. In Acts chapter 7 verse 59 in reading, it said, while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep and Saul was there giving approval to his death. So Stephen was praying for those people that were killing him. He was innocent. He was being killed for something he didn't do. And yet he found the power to ask God to forgive them. Forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Saul, who became the great apostle Paul, was right there holding the clothes of those who were killing him. So he forgave Saul. And later on, you'll hear Saul Paul writing in his book about what he did back in those days. But guess what? The man that he had hurt and killed had forgiven him. And came to be one of the great apostles ever. I don't know if I could do it. Honestly, I don't know if you were killing me, if I could forgive you. I must, I, I'm just being honest with you. So don't try it. The second way, the second way is unfulfilled expectations. So you expect somebody to do something for you and they don't do it. Or you expect them to do this and they don't do it. Or you're expecting them to say this and they don't say it. You're expecting a birthday card, a Christmas card or something. You're expecting flowers. You're expecting them to say happy anniversary. You're expecting them to do something and they don't do it. It doesn't, it could be a small thing. It doesn't matter. Unfulfilled expectations. Now, this is what happened to Naaman. Naaman was a captain in the army, but he got leprosy. And when he went to Elisha to be healed from his leprosy, Elisha didn't do what Naaman expected, so Naaman got offended with him. And this story is found in 2 Kings chapter 5, and verse 9. And Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha didn't even come out. Saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, dip in the door, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away, and he said, I indeed said to myself, surely he will come out to me. I expected him to come out to me, and to stand to call on the name of the Lord his God, and to wave his hand over the place, and to heal me. He had a preconceived idea of how this preacher was going to do it. And a preconceived idea, when I go to the church, this is the kind of worship they're going to have. The one little guitar playing like this. Nobody shouting, nobody screaming, nobody clapping hands. It's going to be nice and quiet. And unfulfilled expectations. So they leave during the praise and worship. They don't get to stay for the message. If they'd stayed, they could have got offended later. Give me a chance. It gets better. <laughs> See? So something happens, and it's an offense. Well, once you've been offended, guess what? You can't receive the new truth God is trying to impart to you. You shut it down. You stopped it because you got offended at it. Okay? So, see, what Elisha did was Elisha told him, go jump in the lake. You want healing? Go jump in the lake. Imagine if you come for healing, I said, go jump in the lake. They would sound like, I don't care. Yeah. would sound like, but pastor, you're supposed to care. Go jump in the lake. <laughs> and the Jordan was a dirty lake. And he said, do it seven times. <laughs> up and down, up and down. It's not enough. <laughs> See, there's a lot of things in the Bible we put in today's world and we go, 
That would never happen at church. Oh, yeah? We'll see how many of you are left by the end of the service. So he got offended. But if it wasn't for his servant who ran alongside and said, listen, if he asked you to do something great, wouldn't you do it? He said, yeah, well, do something small. He's asking you to do something small. Just do the small thing. And he did, and he got healed. I want you to consider the cost of being offended. Let's talk about the cost. I'll just we'll touch on a few things. The first thing that offense causes confusion and doubt. You all heard of John the Baptist, right? Uh, it appears that John the Baptist got offended with Jesus. Of course, he wouldn't be the first person who got offended with Jesus. A lot of people got offended with Jesus. In fact, today half the world is offended with Jesus. Just talk about Jesus and see what happens at work. See how many people are offended with Jesus. So it's not uncommon, but it appears to me that John the Baptist got offended with Jesus. Um, and the question is why? Well, Jesus just didn't live like John the Baptist. Jesus had designer clothes. John the Baptist had Campbell's hair. That, that's, a rough, that's a rough outfit. Okay? Jesus... Jesus would go to the best parties in town with the sinners, the fantastic feasts. John the Baptist was fasting and eating locusts. Okay? Jesus was mixing with the sinners. He was forgiving those caught in adultery. John the Baptist went to prison because he called out Herod for adultery. Jesus was forgiving people. John the Baptist was condemning them. Everything Jesus did was completely contrary to what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist from his birth was told not to drink alcohol. Jesus drinks alcohol. Don't get offended. There was opportunity right there. You may not know that, but it's true. You don't call somebody a wine bibber because he drinks grape juice. why would Jesus turn water into wine? He should have turned it into grape juice. And then the guy said, this is the best wine. You gone home yet? Cindy, you might have to start the car. I think I'm going to have to get out of here. <laughs> Let's have a look what happens. John the Baptist is thrown into prison for calling out Herod. In chapter 11 of Matthew. Now, John is in prison, and he heard about the activities of Christ, and he sent a message to his disciples, and he asked him, Are you he who was to come, or should we expect or keep on expecting a different one? And Jesus replied to the disciples from John the Baptist, said, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news. The gospel preached to them. And he said, tell John, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is he who takes no offense at me. Jesus said this to John. And finds no cause for stumbling in or through me. And is not hindered from seeing the truth. Offense will stop you from seeing the truth. Jesus said, tell John not to be offended at me. John was obviously confused and in doubt. I want to ask you this question. Was he not the one who first acknowledged Jesus by saying, this is the Lamb of God. It comes to take away the sin of the world. I'm not, I'm not worthy to undo his shoes. He said to Jesus, I'm not worthy. Uh, uh, Jesus, you, know, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. Did he say that? And he was standing there when he heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. He heard it. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And then the Bible said that God had spoken to John. He said, who you see the Holy Spirit descending on and staying on, that's him. That's my son. John said he saw the Spirit descending upon him. Did he not say that? So he sees all these things, and now he's doubting. Are you the one, or should we expect another? After all of that, you see, people, sometimes seeing the miraculous is not enough. Because even when you see the miraculous and you hear the truth, you can be offended. And then when you get offended, 
you lose access to the truth, you become confused and you get into doubt, and you leave the church because you got offended. Not because the truth wasn't being presented. Jesus was the truth. People are being offended at Jesus. So I'm in good shoes. I'm in good ground. I mean, I'm in good company. I'm in good company. Do you understand what John was going through? He was asking the question, is my, was my ministry in vain? Did I preach all this time for nothing? Did I miss it? Are you the person? I was supposed to be the voice of the one leading before the Messiah comes. That was my ministry. Now I've wasted my whole ministry and they're going to cut my head. I know I'm going to die in prison. Are you the one? And how does Jesus respond to him? Jesus doesn't pacify him. Jesus doesn't send the message back to the guys and say, tell John, man, he's a good, he's cool, man, he's awesome. Just tell him, listen, we love him, we love him, church loves him, we're praying for him, and, you know, I mean, things are going to get tough, but don't lose your head. You know, things are going to get, you know, you know, I mean, what was he saying? He was like, we'll comfort you, we'll comfort you, John. Go and hug, 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 hug. Let's, let's, let's have a prayer meeting. Just hug, hug, hug. Feel, feel good, let's come, hug. Group hug, group hug. John, John, we love you, man, we love you. Make you feel better for a minute. And then you find out you're back in prison and you're, nothing's changed. So what does Jesus do? Jesus preaches the word to John. He preaches the word. You know, John the Baptist knew the Old Testament very well because he, he saw in the Old Testament what was going to happen, who the Messiah was going to be. So you know what Jesus did when he said to him, go tell him the blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, lips, lips are being cleaned. You know what he's doing? He was actually quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verse 5. Listen. When the eyes of the blind are opened and the ears of the deaf are unstopped and then the lame will leap like deers and the mute tongue will shout for joy he quoted the word to john you see that's what makes the difference it's the word of god that sets you free knowing the truth that will set you free this is what jesus quoted to him he wanted to reassure john that the prophecies about the messiah were actually being fulfilled in him satan wants to use offense to cause you to doubt to bring confusion, to steal your joy, to block the anointing, and to beat you senseless. Second thing he wants to do is steal your joy. Listen, offended people are hurt people. Hurt people are not happy. So hurt people are angry. They're bitter. They find fault. Because nobody here, I'm talking about people that have left already, see? They find fault. And they're, un and they're unhappy. And you know what? They have no peace. And they have no joy. And the Bible tells me in Nehemiah 8.10 that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if Satan can steal your joy, he gets your strength. This is why so many Christians are so weak. Because they have no joy. One of the reasons why we praise and worship as the way we do is to restore your joy. To get you happy about being a Christian. Well, the Bible says, be sad in the Lord again, and again I say be sad. Oh, wait, it doesn't. That's a reverse vision. It says be glad. Be glad in the Lord. When we come to praise and worship, we're supposed to be glad, not sad. Are you with me? Glad in the Lord. All right. So, if the enemy can steal your joy, he can steal your strength and this puts you at the mercy of the enemy, and your enemy has no mercy. Satan has no mercy. He will not stop with you once he's got you into that place of weakness and bondage, and he's got you that you've got a hold of the bait, and you can't get your hand out of the cage. He's not going to let you. He's going to keep you there, and he's going to beat you to death. While you're hanging on to that offense, Satan has got a right to beat you to your death. Number three, it blocks the anointing. It causes unbelief. Jesus goes to his own hometown in Mark chapter 6. And he says this. Isn't this the, they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this uh, Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And watch this. And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. They were offended. 
And Jesus said to them, Only in your own town, among your relatives, and in your own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there. It didn't say he would not do any miracles there. He said he could not do any miracles. One more time. He could not do any miracles, which means he tried and he failed. Are you out there? Well, Jesus could do everything. No, he couldn't heal the offended people. God can do anything. No, he can't heal offended people. You want to know why the church of Jesus Christ is so sick and so few people are getting healed? Because God can't heal offended people. Now you can go if you want to. I'll preach the empty seats. And he marveled at their unbelief. If Jesus couldn't heal offended people, what hope does the pastor have of bringing healing to offended people? And by the way, offense also causes sickness, just to throw that out there. Is it worth holding on to your offense if it's cutting you off from the anointing because Jesus' anointing didn't flow there? If it's preventing you from having faith, if it's stopping you from being healed, if it's uh, causing confusion and loss of peace and joy and the devil is beating the snot out of you, is it worth it? See, being offended and unforgiveness go together like a hand and a glove. So the problem again with offense and with that hurt is that can migrate and grow and turn into unforgiveness and then into hate if you don't deal with it immediately. I'm going to start closing. It's my first close. I learned that from Cindy. I'm going to show you this. In, Mark, in Matthew 16 and 14, Jesus said, If you forgive other people when they sin or do wrong or failures against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. And in Matthew 18, 21, Peter says, That's a tough pull to swallow. Say what? He came to Jesus. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven. And he thought he was being magnanimous. Seven times. Look at me. Look at me. I'm such a cool Christian. I can do it seven times. So Jesus puts him in his place. He says, not seven times. He says, seven times, 70 times. That's 490. And then one of the, one of the gospels says, in the same day. It would be just with 490 would be fine, but he says in the same day. Okay, so let's move from the realm of possibility to the realm of impossibility. Absolutely. Okay? Now, hold on to your hats and read verse 23. It follows verse 22. That's a great revelation. Make sure you get that one. Jesus just said to him, 70 times 7. The very next verse, Jesus says, therefore, talking about what came before. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. Everybody say the kingdom of heaven is like. Not the world, not the Old Testament, not the law of Moses, not the church down the road. The kingdom of heaven is like. A king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and he began to settle, and a man owed him 10,000 talents. Now, what does that mean, 10,000 talents? Well, in silver, 10,000 talents would mean... 30 million days wages. Let's say that again. 30 million days wages. In dollars, around $20 million. Converted there. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children should be sold and he should be put into prison, pay, pay the debt. The servant fell on his knees and begged to be patient with me. I beg you, I will pay everything back. Now watch what the master did. He took pity on him and he canceled the debt and let him go. Everybody say cancel the debt. This man had a debt he could not pay. Do you agree with me? It was impossible. He could not pay it. And God forgave him. The master forgave him the debt he couldn't pay. Impossible to pay. Then this servant goes out and finds another fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. Not talents, denarii. What does that mean? 100 days wages. 100 days wages. It's a huge difference. 
And he grabs him by the throat, he chokes him, and he says, pay me what you owe me. Demands him to pay him. And this guy falls on his knees and says exactly the same thing. He said, he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off to the man in prison, sells his family to pay the debt. So the rest of the servants go back to the master and say, you know the guy that you forgave? This is what he did. So the master is really unhappy. Verse 32, he calls in the servant. He says, you wicked servant. He said to him, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all. Everybody say all. all. Okay, say it now, now say it properly. All. all. There you go. No Americanized here. Okay, all. <laughs> pay back all the debt. Otherwise, you won't understand what is being said. This is truth and revelation. All the debt that he owed, which means the debt was reinstated. The debt that was forgiven was reinstated. He said, you're going to go to prison and you're going to be tortured in prison until you should pay back all, not some, all, all the debt. You pay back all the debt. The man's in danger of losing his salvation if the first debt represented salvation that you can't pay back. And the debt that was owed to him was simple forgiveness to somebody who was a Christian who had, forgive, who had hurt you. This is a small debt, forgive them, based on the fact that Jesus has forgiven us so much. And if you can't forgive the small debt, God is going to throw you back into prison to be tortured and reinstate your debt. Now, I know I've upset somebody. I upset you because theologically you don't disagree with me. Did we start off by saying this is the kingdom of God? Yeah. All right, let's read the last verse and we'll be finished with the scripture. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from his heart. Hello. I'm not making this up. I'm simply reading the Bible. How readest thou? Say, same as thee. Yeah. This is what the Bible says. Okay. Be as, get as angry as you want with me. It's okay. Just tear that page out. And then by the end of the sermon, you'll have no pages left in your Bible. And that'll be cool. Now, I'm going to tell you one more story if you can handle it. My time will be up. I'll tell you. So back in South Africa, a lady by the name of Susan Swart called our office, and she said, please come pray for my husband. They put him in prison. Uh, so we don't usually go out and pray for other people who are not part of our church because there's you know, a million people in San Diego, and if we had to pray for everybody that was in trouble, we wouldn't sleep. We, don't, we can't do that. So we couldn't do that either. But nevertheless, I felt impressed by the Spirit of God to follow this one up. So I, I called, said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, my husband has decided to live nude. Now, he's 40 years old. He weighs about 280 pounds, so it's not a pleasant sight. <laughs> and he is walking around the house nude. That would be okay, except he's watering the garden outside in the nude as well. Okay? And then he's gone to shop at Ralph's. And then people came to visit the home. But still, the man is in the nude. Okay, so this is, he needs, he needs help, big time. Eventually, the cops come and f catch him for indecent exposure because he's walking around the neighborhood nude. So he's in prison now. So I go to see him in prison. They put me in a cell right next to his, so it's a visiting cell, so I can get through to speak with him. So he's in there, he's asleep. There's no clothes in the cell, but fortunately, there's a blanket. I said, Johan, and I wake him up. I, they told me his name, Johan, wake up. So he wakes up, he looks at me, he says, hello, Theo. I go, no, 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 no. Theo's my brother, and he's in Johannesburg. He's got a church there. He said, I said, I'm Henry. He said, oh, hello, Henry. I know you. I've been to your church. I felt like the book of Acts. Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? You know, I felt like it was this demon talking to me through this guy. I don't know him. He doesn't know my brother. He hasn't been to his church. So this is, I said, okay, what's going on here? So we start talking to him. I said, first of all, put a blanket on you. Counseling like this is just bad. I can't. This is not good. Put a blanket on you. So he puts a blanket on him. So he, I said, come over closer to me. I said, I want to talk to you. I said, why are you in this condition? What's going on? And I, I, I give him the gospel. I said, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to get saved. So I try to pray the prayer of salvation. By the time I get to ask him forgiveness, he jumps back and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. 
I said, why? He said, because I hate my father. I will not forgive my father. My father is an animal, and I hate him. This is a 40-year-old man. I hate my father. So I'm staring and thinking, okay, God, you've got to help me now. We've got a real problem. The Spirit of God says to me, unless he forgives his father, he is ge- he's going to stay in this condition. That's what's more, he has opened the door for demonic activity in his life. He has become demon-possessed. So the next whatever time, I'm talking to him about forgiving his father. Otherwise, he can't be saved. He can't move on. I can't get these demons out of him. So he comes over to me. I said, come here, I'm going to pray for you. So I reach to the bars. And I lay my hands on him to pray for him. And he takes off from this side. Of the, he jumped right across the, the, I mean, he flew across the cell. Land on the bed on the other side. Just, you know, I gave him a four for landing. Just it was, you know, five, five for the trip and four for landing. It was terrible. So I said, put the blanket back on you. Anyway, so <laughs> I love the Olympics. Anyway. I realized I can't touch him because the moment I touch him, the anointing goes through and, and the, the demons throw him around a cell. Okay, if you don't believe in demo, demonic possession, you can skip this part. But it's true. It's in the Bible, okay? It's in the Bible. Jesus did it a lot. Okay, I heard you. He's trying to tell me to quit. I can stop here and pick the story up next time. No, you want to finish? When you hear the end? Beg me. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So I call him over and I say, okay, now we've got to pray the prayer of repentance. And I get him to repent, to, to forgive his father. He forgives his father. And immediately I say, receive the Lord Jesus. I pray salvation prayer. He receives the Lord Jesus. Laid hands on him. He gets out of prison. He and his wife come to our church. They get spiritual, baptized in water, go through our Bible college and become cell leaders. And that's the end of the story. The problem was unforgiveness, unforgiveness. Okay, I'm going to pray for you, and uh, I'm going to believe God is going to keep working with you. Um, if there's something that you need to forgive about, you go home and you do it privately. I don't need to bring you out here to do this. a very serious, very serious issue. You take, take it into your own account and do it privately. And the next time I speak, I'm going to take you from here through unforgiveness. And I'm going to tell you something. That this is, we're halfway through it. We're halfway through. As you heard the story about unforgiveness, we're halfway through. We're going to go from here to the problem of forgiving. Okay? It's a very, very, very dangerous thing. You need to hear what I've got to say. Remember, Satan is trying to take you captive or keep you captive by you taking the bait of offense. Amen? Amen. 